Hey, it's Liz Kelly, and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. We hope the Ringer can provide you entertainment and companionship during this time. So as always, feel free to check out theringer.com, where we're still covering the latest in sports, pop culture, tech, and media. And the Ringer's YouTube channel can provide endless amounts of entertainment. You can find that at youtube.com slash theringer. Oh, you don't want me to take it out. <laughs> your whole, your whole, your, your whole audience will say, "Oh my God!" Warning: binge mode contains adult content and spoilers. No, I like it. <laughs> I like and it. And now, binge mode. Oh my God, you're all muddy. The universe is deterministic. It's godless, and neutral, and defined only by physical laws. The marble rolls because it was pushed. The man eats because he's hungry. An effect is always the result of a prior cause. Hello! Oh, yeah, yeah! Welcome, indeed, to Binge Mode Weekly. Proudly, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. That's right. I'm Mallory Rubin, editor-in-chief of the Ringer.com. Ah! <laughs> great website. It's great. It's really great. Check it out. It's good. My neighbors now think that I've just had an incredible climax. Listen, we should all be so lucky. Pornhub <laughs> Premium is free, folks. Joining me today. Now that he's finished designing his custom binge mode outfit on Animal Crossing. I got to do more work on it. It's Ringer Senior Creative, your maester, Jason Concepcion. Mal? Yeah. Binge mode, assemble. Yeah, 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 (laughs) yeah. We're back. (laughs) Special quarantine edition of Binge Mode Weekly, where as we social distance amid the coronavirus pandemic, Stay safe, stay healthy, everyone. We'll be coming to you once a week to cover a series of rotating topics, revisiting some past favorites and diving into some new stories, while also getting to work on the next full binge mode project. More info Uh on that front coming soon. Stay tuned. Uh Please subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or just wherever you get your podcasts. And please rate and review us. Give us those five-star ratings. Yes. But we'll send Kenton and Forrest after you, and you don't want that. No. Please also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at binge underscore mode, a.k.a. the underscore, and join our Facebook group, which is just for binge mode fans, which is an excellent place to comfort each other as we quarantine. Thank you all. Also, if you're looking to spice up your work-from-home wardrobe, please head to theringer.com slash shop to check out our binge mode merch. Yes. Man, the binge mode Facebook group really, uh, a remarkable place to visit these days, full of joy and support and positivity. Shouts to all of you. Last time on Binge Mode, we concluded our Binge Mode Star Wars run. Yes. Feels like just yesterday. Does. And today, we're diving deep. Deep! Into our latest mailbag. We're diving deep, kitty kitty, into the nutsack of a tiger. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, that was my <laughs> Joe Exotic country and western, but it's not. I'm workshopping it. 
You'll find it as we go. That's how it works, you know? Diving deep, kitty, kitty, like the grave that's holding Carol Baskin's husband. That's wow. a spoiler for the folks out spoiler. there. Spoiler. <laughs> hey, there is a spoiler alert up top. So we figured this is a very isolating period for everybody. Quite literally, we hope you are isolating and social distancing, helping to flatten the curve. Yeah. And If you can. If you can. If you can stay home, please do. We miss talking to each other about stories. We miss commuting with all of you. And we thought, what better way to kick this off again to begin the return to Binge Mode Weekly than by hearing from all of you, getting a snapshot of what you're thinking about, what you're Mm. looking for, what questions are on your mind. As always, as Jason just reminded you with his little impromptu Joe Exotic musical impression there, spoiler warning, we will be going deep on details from deep Basically everything, basically every story that we've ever covered on Binge Mode, plus a lot of things that are currently airing. We cannot do a single catch-all spoiler warning this time. We're sorry. Just stay frosty as we go through the questions and prepare for topic-specific spoilers as we go. Boot up your favorite show exotic tune. Boot up. Boot up is probably one of his songs because it's time to ask the underscore. Question number one from our good friend, Camila Beltrao in Brazil. I hope she's staying safe and healthy, and I hope you all are. We love you, Camila. I'll only say that 50,000 more times. <laughs> Choose three fictional characters to quarantine with. Who made the cut, and why were they the chosen ones? Mal, would you like to go first? Sure. Well, you're going to notice a theme of the questions that we selected, and, and one of the themes surely will be uh, that you know, I want to fuck a lot of the fictional characters that we're talking about. But another theme will be that a lot of these questions center on what is happening in the world right now, the coronavirus pandemic, how people are spending their time right now, how we're spending our time, how all of you are spending your time, how we can find a way to connect with each other and the things that we love when we can't literally be in the same place together. So we got numerous versions of this question. Some of them had different totals that we were allowed to pick. Some of Mm. them were specific to one of the story universes that we've covered. This was broad in that we could pick from any story, but narrow in that we can only pick three. And as you know, and as you will be reminded of time and again today, I need a cap on how many people or things I'm allowed to pick. let me tell you. Or I just lose it. Do you ever? (laughs) So thank you, Camilla, for knowing us and setting that restriction with three characters. I am tempted to say Jorah, Han Solo, and Obi-Wan Kenobi. Jesus. But listen, I know myself, and I frankly do not have the stamina for that. <laughs> it's just not stamina, do you? Wait, I think stamina really is something that it would be required of the others. No? Well, I mean, three of them, one of me. You could certainly take a more, <laughs> you know what I mean? You're, you could just kind of like lean on the handlebars and just kind of like coast for a little while. <laughs> Everybody else has to keep pedaling. Uh, what an interesting insight into <laughs> your unique perspective there. I'm going to show some discipline here and I'm only going to pick one of those characters. I am going to start with Hermione Granger. That's a great one. Literally a magical being. And I'm just being smart here. 
I'm being practical. I need somebody with a wand. I need somebody with expertise, prodigious talent, someone who can help me and the other people that we are sheltering in place with get what we need. But here's the thing about Hermione, as you know, knows her own limits, knows the limits of the laws of the universe, thinking clearly at all times, a master at understanding Gamp's law of elemental transfiguration. She knows the rules. She knows to obey them as she once had to explain to Ronald Billius Weasley. Isaac, I can see you scowling just at the mention of Ron's name. Your mother can't produce food out of thin air. No one can. Food is the first of the five principal exceptions to Gamp's law. On and on and on we go. I need that kind of steady-handed understanding from one of my quarantine mates. I like it. Can I just ask, what era Hermione? What age are we talking about? Are we this talking about question. Minister of Magic Hermione? Or are we talking about like seventh year Hermione, sixth year? What, what era of Hermione Granger? I'm glad you asked. I need Hermione after Deathly Hallows because one of the things that I'm hinging my selection on here is that in what would have been their seventh year at Hogwarts, Hermione camped in the woods on the run isolated from other people with Ron and Harry for days and weeks and months on end. She is ready for the challenge of surviving in difficult circumstances with just a couple other people. She's one of the smartest human beings alive, a great conversationalist. We would never get bored. And also, she's one of the most well-read people alive. So we could talk about books and stories for days on end and never get bored. She could recommend all sorts of new tales to me. She could read Beetle to me. I would love it. And she could probably teach me runes while we were studying. It would be like a constant book club with Hermione. And if the moment arose when I didn't want to interact with her and I didn't want to talk, I know that she would be able to occupy herself. She would be content. I wouldn't need to worry about her. She's the perfect number one pick. Who are you taking I love it. Wow. Okay. I went with Tyrion first. He's a reader, student of history. It's just a great raconteur. And I would just love to sit around and pick this guy's brain for hours and hours and hours. Unpack the brand decision for me. Can we do that, Tyr? Can I call you Tyr? <laughs> what were we thinking there? But beyond that, just asking him, you know, history of dragons, history of the Seven Kingdoms, history of his family. Mm-hmm. Just talking to one of the foremost thinkers in all of fiction. And as I said, just like a good hang a great guy to hang with a great partier like we're gonna have a good time too it's not just gonna be about like crack open your books and let's get into chapter 37 of the history of high garden we're gonna get lit this is a guy who spent untold days in a box with his own shit <laughs> that's true quarantine is not gonna be an issue for my guy are you the Varus in that situation, receiving the shit through the hole in the box, really building that bond? Let me just that- say that Varus, Varus acting like that was a big deal to collect. Yeah, they've, just they've put both a, seen worse. Get the fuck out of here. Put a bowl <laughs> under the hole and just empty it every once in a while. You don't have to stand there and wait for the shit. I mean, you're a dog owner. You're an animal yes. lover. You've been right. scooping up other beings' shit for much yeah, of your I've life. Shit, used I've to this. Up shit. I take shits. <laughs> Let me tell you, I know about shit. You've been advocating for the bidet life for quite some I've, time. I, again, I'm Trailblazer. ahead of the curve on this. I'm ahead of the it's curve true. on this again. It's true. You really are. I have a couple follow-up questions about Tyrion. Sure, I mean, I'd love I think to hear the brand it. point that you made is 
really strong. I mean, being able to finally get the truth out of Tyrion about what transpired in their fireside chat at Winterfell. Update us all. Instagram live it, please. Question. One, you mentioned partying. You mentioned that you're going to have a good time. How well stocked are you currently on wine and spirits? Because that's a big part of keeping Tyrion content. Truthfully, not that well. I have zero in terms of alcoholic products. I'm at a zero right now. I have, I think, three edibles left. I have various <laughs> CBD products. And, you know, the thing is, re-upping that is fraught because you actually have to meet the person and show your ID. So that's an issue. But listen, we could, like, hold our breath for a while or something. You ever do that when you were a little kid? Like, lean against a wall and hold your breath and then, like, stand up really quick? There's things that we can do. I'm, I'm, And besides, like, Tyrion needs to be cut off sometimes. And I think, like, getting into that space where Tyrion is able to have a good time without over-imbibing, I think, is healthy for him. Absolutely. Brings me to my next question, which is, yeah. you know, you asked me which era of the Hermione Granger experience I'm opting into. Which exact moment in time are you pulling Tyrion out of the story and into your life? Specifically, <sighs> is he still frequenting brothels? Is he with Shay? Has he stopped having sex entirely and thus lost that trademark strategic edge that you might be bringing him into your quarantine specifically for? Well... He's definitely edging. I'll put it that way. I think that I'm going to assume the brothel stuff just kind of went off screen around season five, six, and that it's still active. I think that that honestly, that's going to be a thing that he's going to need to get used to is like, hey, Tyrion, you can't do that. Not only do we not have establishments like that in this reality, but you can't do that right now. You need to stay away from people. Let, Let me show you the Internet. Amazing things happening on the internet these days. (laughs) But in terms of like what era, it would have to be post the meeting at the Dragon Pit that ends up crowning Bran because I want to understand the entire process from the fireside chat to the moment he's nominated to the moment that he convinces everybody that this is somehow a good idea. I want to just, let's unpack that whole thing. Let's get it all. Backup, quick backup, not as fun of a hang. But from the same universe, Samuel Tarley. Oh, he'd be great. Just because I feel like he's probably the foremost epidemiologist in the Seven Kingdoms. He's got some experience curing diseases that are very difficult to eradicate. So maybe he might have some knowledge in that regard. A shot in the dark, but I'm willing to try anything. (laughs) It's a great pick. Sam is... You know, you might take credit for one of your breakthroughs at some point, which is something to I'm gonna think about. I'm going to record everything. <laughs> I'm going to record everything. I'm going to keep contemporaneous keep notes. I'm absolutely not letting him gilly me. No way. <laughs> Ragger. Okay, who's your second pick? Let's do a little snake style here. Oh, wow. Okay, well, I'm looking at your list. And just because of your list, I'm thinking, I wasn't thinking kind of physical love at all. Oh, but I, now I'm thinking maybe I should have. Should I have done that? <laughs> I'm going to stick with my original pick, but I'm going to okay. say if I was looking for that kind of like finding connection with another person in these dark times kind of avenue, Ooh. I would pick Roz because <laughs> she's great, <gasps> smart, yeah. beautiful, witty, and also because turnips 
are very important in Animal Crossing right now to the economy of Animal Crossing. And I think mm-hmm. that's something that she would be fascinated by. And I think it's something that she would have a lot of things to say about turnips. Um, but I'm gonna I'm not gonna stick with her. I'm gonna stick with I'm gonna go with Josh Foley. AKA Elixir, a mutant healer affiliated with the X-Men. He's got golden skin, golden hair, and mm-hmm. he can just heal people. And I feel like, let's think big. Mm-hmm. Let's think cure. Let's okay. think helping other people. Let's think bigger than my own quarantine. Let's get Josh Foley in here. Yeah. And see if he can just send him to like a hospital and see if he can just like heal people with his powers. He's brought people back from the brink of death before. He's healed grievous wounds in the midst of battle. Josh Foley, help us. That's a beautiful idea. Yeah, thank you. It's a beautiful idea. It makes it hard to, you know, for me to transition into picking Jorah and saying I just want to have sex with him a lot. But I, I love fine, it. You know, and I may, I listen. I may go Roz again. Who knows? We yeah, maybe each I'll other do it. out here on binge mode. <laughs> With that said, I will be selecting Jorah Mormont <laughs> with my you gotta do next it. pick. Listen, when you find yourself spending a lot of time reflecting, you think about who you are and you think about what's important to you and why. Right. And I have spent a lot of time in the last couple weeks trying to understand myself. Wow. And... <laughs> Okay. I can't wait to see where this goes. Jorah would be a ideal quarantine mate for a few different reasons. One, utter devotion. Wow. Think about how he stood by Daenerys, what they went through together, the tests, the challenges. He allowed Samwell, who you mentioned earlier, to shear off an entire layer of his skin so that he could return to Danny, who had ordered him to do so. He died fighting for her. Now, I hope in my scenario here, Jorah makes it out alive, but I want somebody in my crew here who is willing to stay by my side no matter what, no matter how difficult and bleak it gets. We're all looking to fill a lot of time, and he's nice to look at. If I'm bored, he's got that jawline. When he's trying to say bin, he says bean. It's just endlessly (laughs) riveting and captivating. He's okay. a knight. He's okay? a knight. He knows how to fight. A gifted soldier. Is that going to be important? You don't know. I mean, I, I guess, hope yeah, not. That's, yeah. I really hope not. I hope that we all make it through this with our health and safety <laughs> intact and society intact as well. I want someone on my quarantine in this hypothetical thought experiment who is ready for whatever awaits. And I also want somebody who... Listen, is ready to explore you don't need to I got it. each other and a certain level of intimacy. And so I will be selecting Jorah Mormont. What do you do when it's time to, to go have private time with Jorah? How do, we, how do we announce that within the quarantine? Do you announce it? Do you slip away? Is it one of these just kind of like, oh, need to get something from the other room kind of things? And then how does that work? It's a good question. So, you know, I'll reveal my final pick shortly, but I'm confident that Hermione and my player to be named later will enjoy each other's company. 
I'm more concerned about my husband, Adam, in this scenario, but also when I was prepping for this podcast, I left the outline open on my computer. He sat down next to it and happened to have it on on the part of the doc that said, Jorah, bullet point passionate sex, which led to some follow-up questions. So I feel like I've already crossed that hurdle and dealt Uh. with that. And that part of this experience is that, you know, we all need to help each other find happiness and contentment. And, you know, you're not seeing anybody else in the world. So you just have to really learn to accept each other. That's my answer to the question. Yeah. I mean, how are you and Roz going to find privacy? Every time you guys go to be intimate with each other, she's going to need to go fill up her vag bowl and bring it into the other room. <laughs> well, that's not just exactly water. discreet. That's just the water bowl. Sure. That's just a water bowl. And also the other thing with with <laughs> Roz and Tyrion, yeah. they're going to be amazed at the modern world. Listen, we're not doing great right now at this particular juncture in modern history, no. but they're going to be pretty not. like amazed at the tech and the gadgets and the stuff that we have, they're just going to be like, oh, wow, that's better than a bowl. I mean, I can just jump into this thing and water comes out of the wall and then there's like a hose thingy that I can squirt. Yeah, you do all of that. Just jump in there. Hot water comes out. And I'd fuck with them. I'd be like, yeah, there's a dragon underneath the house and it's like warms the water with his breath and then it comes right out. You won't even be able to have conversations with Tyrion. He's going to be glued to MSNBC, listening to every episode from the Pod Save America Crooked Media guys. He really is. All right. Final picks. My final pick. You've swayed me with your Jorah pick. (laughs) Emma Frost, the white queen of X-Men and Hellfire Club fame. Wow. She is a telepath, for one. Mm-hmm. When she was dating Scott Summers, aka Cyclops, she used her powers in a very therapeutic way to help him with trauma, putting him in, you know, into like fully immersive psychological scenarios where he was able to like confront his pain. She also used that for other stuff. <laughs> she's a millionaire, probably a billionaire. I don't know where she gets her money, but it's like she's wealthy. So that helps cushion the blow, I think. And, you know, just Google her, folks. Striking woman. (laughs) You picked two X-Men. Yeah, but Josh Foley is, like, not a full-fledged. He's, like, on the... He's, like, an ancillary X-Men. He's just Two characters from the X-Men universe. I know, but we're just going there. Interesting. We're just going there. Okay. Okay. I love it. What about you? My final pick pick is Lyra Silvertongue from the His Dark Materials universe. This is an interesting one. Thank you. Two reasons. Number one, she has an alethiometer and she can use it to glean the truth for us. To yes, she can. gain access to insights and information that other people are not able to find. So that might help us in very specific micro living our daily lives ways, or she might be able to do what you were saying earlier and help actually lead to a scientific breakthrough. She can help our crew. She can help the world. It's important. Now, that's a lot of pressure for her. It's a taxing process. It's also, where are we in time? She's faced pressure before. Yes. Is it earlier in her life when it all came so naturally? Is she relying on books to glean the meaning of every layer 
speed is contingent here on which age Lyra is when she joins my crew, but regardless. Also, Pan, sweet little Pan, Pantalaemon, her demon. I love an animal, as you know. Pan is one of my favorite characters in all of literature, and I feel like this pick is kind of a two-for-one here. Now, you can't touch Pan. You can't well, touch her demon. Daemon? Demon? I call it Daemon in my head, I say Daemon in my head when I, I read, say Damon in my Daemon. Yeah. Now, is that going to be an issue because you can't touch him? That's a no-no. Well, I'm glad you asked this question. So I don't want to presume, and I obviously don't want to force Pan and Lyra into any situation that they're uncomfortable with. This would only, this would only come about naturally. Yeah. But Pan and, and Lyra are way more open-minded than many of the people in our universe. It's Very so accepting of new kinds of interactions and relationships. Will has touched Pan before. So they're used to that. Also, when Lyra and Pan were babies, Pan touched Malcolm. So they might be receptive to it, but even if they weren't, I would respect, of course, their bond. I'd be really curious to see how Halo, my beloved Halo, and Pan interacted. The way that demons and animals interact in the story is always fascinating. I think it would be wonderfully interesting. I am currently reading... The Book of Dust, Volume 2, The Secret Commonwealth, which I'm going to talk about later in a different question. And spoiler alert for that book. I'll issue a specific spoiler alert for that. It's a newer story. Lyra and Pan are dealing with some challenges in their relationship yes. in that story. Yes. And so I think the question of where in time they come into my life is, is an interesting one worth considering. But regardless, Lyra is an explorer. She's an adventurer. She's used to not only life on the run, but life in unique and difficult circumstances. She's used to doing whatever is necessary to help somebody else in need and also finding a way to stay at a remove, at a distance from someone or something that might be a threat. I think she'd be an ideal asset to my team. I love it. I love it. Okay. Number two. Yeah. Nikki McMurdo asks, favorite quarantine binges, TV, Ooh. books, food, anything. I interpreted Woo! this as the things that I am enjoying binging or consuming the most right now. But obviously, I think you could interpret this in any number of ways. So why don't you go first? Wow, this is so... How long do we have? This has been a journey for me. I thought about subgrouping this, but let's. I guess we can start top of mind. What's the thing that I've been doing the most? I've been playing a lot of video games, just kind of reconnect with that. Mm -hmm. Animal Crossing, I think, has been big. That's just kind of one of the ways, one of the mediums that people are using to connect right now, which is yeah. a fascinating thing. I had my, I posted my Nintendo friend code to Twitter, which was probably a bad idea. I may not be able to accept your friend request for a little while because I literally have to sit there and keep pressing the button to accept them. But I had, you know, I had my island open for visitors. I let people have been leaving wonderful messages on my bulletin boards. That's the thing I've been doing. I think that the kind of exploitive capitalism of Tom Nook, kind of the big boss of, of Animal Crossing is something to unpack and is troubling, but it's something I've, I've been thinking a lot about. So I, I would say that would be my first off the bat thing. I've been playing a lot of Animal Crossing. I've been playing a lot of video games. Red Dead Redemption is another one because, first of all, it's beautiful. It's very pastoral. There's trees. You can ride a horse and you don't have to do anything. You can just get on a horse and just like ride around. Mm -hmm. Oh, also on the video game front, I've been just, I've been playing Overwatch again. I am now a, a, mm. a diamond healer. 
I'm legit, folks. This is serious. If you want to know if this is a game for me, it's not a game. It's fucking serious. I'm a 3,030 healer, mostly Moira, but I fuck around with Brig. I can do Lucio. I can, I can, I'm situational. I can tank as well. But then it's like I get annoyed because the healers are never good enough. This is legit, folks. I'm in it to win it. Got that beautiful <laughs> diamond symbol, and it's just wonderful to look at. I wish people could see the pride emanating from you right oh, now. Back. Aura of pride pulsating. I mean, I, I reinstalled installed the update and it was like half a day and I was back in Diamond where I belong <laughs> on my way to, to master. That's not going to happen. But anyway, so those are the video games. YouTube, I've been going on like, listen, processing a constant like low level background noise level of anxiety all the time is just kind of like a thing that I think everybody is doing right now. Here's what really helps me. The Silent Watcher, which is a creepy name. I will give you that. The Silent Watcher (laughs) channel on YouTube. It's all these kind of 4K videos of just like a forest that goes for nine hours. And it's just like birds flying, like legitimately just a forest or like a stream or like snow oh. falling on a farmhouse. And it you just leave it on. How soothing. It's very soothing. As an addendum to that, I've also gotten into train videos. There's a lot of, they, they'll just put a camera on the front of a train and have mm-hmm. it go from like one point, like go from Croatia to Sarajevo. And it's like a six hour thing. And you just sit there and you watch the countryside go by. They have them oh, in there's Norwegian ones. There's ones, there's ones all over. And oh those goodness. have been really soothing as well. You just get, you know, this kind of like rhythmic sound of the train. You can have that really low and just watch it go. And it's wonderful. Um, Mary Beard, who is a British historian, she wrote um, SPQR, which was like a history of kind of Republican Roman Empire as it was transitioning into empire. Uh, it was very good. She wrote um, a book about women in the Roman Empire and, and women of the ancient world. She has various one-hour YouTube docs where she just like unpacks life in ancient times, which I've found very soothing. She's like a very energetic and, and wonderful character. So that's kind of like how I've been just like processing anxieties, like through stuff like that. And I, again, Silent Watcher, terrible name for a channel, but it is very soothing. And then it's like, I've been reading a lot of history books, like about, you know, just trying to figure out like, what did people do like when this happened the last time? The thing that you realize is like, okay, this hasn't happened for a hundred years on a global Mm -hmm. scale. It's happened locally off and on every few years in different parts of the world. But this is like a thing that happens. Pandemics are like things that happen. So what have people done before? I was reading a journal of the plague year, which is alarming, but also makes you realize, okay, like life will move on through the darkest of times. Um, 1381 by Juliet Barker, which is something I read a while ago, but it's something I've been thinking about because it's about a revolt of the peasantry due to many factors, one of them being the kind of like economic upheavals after the Black Plague, which was mm-hmm. like 40 years earlier, which basically empowered the peasantry to set their own prices. And then the nobles cracked down because, you know, they put price controls in and then like raised taxes. All these other things happened. And then trash. Love is Blind. Tiger King. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Circle. Just flat out trash. 
just watching trash to kind of just like cleanse the palate. Let's turn my brain off. Vanderpump rules, that kind of stuff. What about you? Don't worry, folks. We have a Tiger King question coming up shortly. Stay tuned. What about me? I sh- and I should say like Devs 000, which is like a crime show on Amazon Prime. We'll talk about Devs, I'm sure. Yes. So I'll start with Devs. That's uh, I'll start with the TV shows that I have been watching during the quarantine or had watched very shortly before that and have been thinking about a lot recently. Devs, certainly top of list. I think we will... Yeah. I think we can safely say that we will return to devs at some point during the Binge Mode Weekly Run and talk about that in depth. Uh, We are both big Alex Garland fans, fans of the approach to science fiction storytelling that he takes, and devs has been fascinating to watch. So I look forward to continuing to see how that season, that miniseries unfolds, and then discussing it with you, my dear pal. Uh, I have recently gotten into Ozark. I started watching season one last week, and... My main takeaway, I have a few. My main takeaway is just that after knowing Chris Ryan for nearly a decade, I should respect him more and I should listen to him sooner because he has been telling me to watch Ozark for years. Yeah, and Ozark I is... don't know what the fuck I was waiting for, but it is mesmerizing. Season one was so fun. I sent Andrew Grotodaro, who oversees pop culture coverage for TheRinger.com, a Slack this weekend that was like, mostly a joke, but there was definitely a little kernel of truth in it. It was basically like we need to redo the entire TV bracket to make Ruth the number one seed. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let me just say it, my my number one takeaway from Ozark and the Americans really is, is Julia Garner step Incredible. on my neck and run my casino. <laughs> <laughs> Take me to Lickety Splits. Let's go. But she is just incredible. Jason Bateman and Laura Linney are both wonderful. The setting is so cool to watch. I think that an interesting experience right now when you're not able to go out into the world is that there's something really painful and surreal about seeing any kind of vista or landscape on your TV that you don't feel like you're able to access. But I find that there's also something kind of cathartic about reminding yourself that there are different ways to tap into some sort of experience. So Ozark has been incredible. I'm a couple episodes into season two. Very much looking forward to catching up and being current on that. A couple reality shows this season yes, of let's go. survivor winners oh, and more that's a great has one been not only the best season in the history of survivor but one of the Whoa! best seasons in the history of reality tv at least to this point it is just yeah. undefeated i mean the only i only have two complaints one it's so good that it absolutely must must be longer every week i, I am imploring jeff it's so true. Producers, re-edit the show. Like, we are all desperately looking for things to feel good about. Please re-edit the show and make it two hours a week. I'm begging Great you. point. Let me just say this. There was a point in my life where I was watching a lot of Big Brother. It was a somewhat of a summer tradition for me. I, you know, watched a lot of it over the course of my life. And they had a thing called Big Brother After Dark, which I still uh-huh. do, which is if you have, I believe it's Showtime, you get three hours of very lightly edited basically contemporaneous house feed. Oh, so please. Yes. Like, yes. give me the CBS Plus online only. Make it so you have to subscribe to CBS, right? And give me three hours of game island camera footage a week extra that's just stuff. What's going on? What's What happened on the island on a particular day? Edit it, of course, so we don't see dick and, and whatever else. 
But let us really get into it. Like, let's dig into it. Let's see what happened. I want to see arguments. I want to see stuff. I want to see everything else. Yes. Honestly, I would take a 24-7 feed of Boston Rob and Amba now that they're together. Amba. That brings me to the other, my one and only other complaint about the season, which is basically perfect. Because the new school players have successfully voted out the old school players, yeah. Extinction, the crew on Extinction is now better and more compelling than any of the individual tribes. I don't know the, if I agree with that. The allocation of time spent in the episode has not shifted. I, you just yeah, cannot that's, convince that's me. Everybody on the show is interesting and fun to watch, but you can't convince me that we should be spending time with Adam. And like, no shade at Adam, but you just can't tell me we should be spending time with Adam instead of Boston Rob and Tyson. You can't. Him like immediately being like, okay, well, I guess I'll just try to play every side of everything right away and talk terrible. to everybody and then let's go at, hey, Boston Rob, like, I think it's time to go at Parvati. Do you agree? And, and Boston Rob's just like, oh, yeah, totally. What? And then as soon as he turns around, <laughs> like, no, what? He's just getting dunked on it. I feel bad for him. Great to spend time with Parvati again. Let me just say that. Parf. Still got it. Parf. Still got it. Some kind of mystique she has. I don't know what it is, but she still got it. Within three seconds of being in front of her, Nick was just like, I'm in love with you and I have been for my entire life. How do you want I me know. to vote? That was really something to watch. <laughs> she <laughs> just has it. She, uh, whatever it is, she just has it. Watching Parv and Ethan and Boston Rob align was really a true, true, true television delight. Another TV delight right now is the current season of Top Chef. We're only a couple oh, wow. weeks into it. It is an all-star season set in Los Angeles and it is... It is all-stars, but all all-stars who have never won before. So there's this, they're here for redemption. They're here to get right. the thing they, they never got before element to it. I talked about the first episode last week on Bachelor Party with Juliet. The second episode was, and like this is, I, I'm not exaggerating. It was one of the most beautiful and moving hours of TV I've ever seen. It was a tribute to Jonathan Gold and his impact oh, wow. on the Los Angeles food scene and the way that he was able to approach criticism through joy and celebration and an, an effort to understand why somebody was cooking the food that they were cooking, who they are, and what their cuisine and restaurant represented. So I found it like, and I felt this way about both episodes, it's been very surreal and like a little bit painful to watch because especially because I live in LA and it is set in LA, it's this tour of all these things that are no longer on offer that you can't yeah. go and visit these places or at least not in the way that you used to. Obviously right now, the state of the restaurant industry, the number of people who have lost their jobs, a former top chef Masters winner Floyd Cardoz, who used to be the head chef at one of my favorite restaurants in New York, recently passed away yeah, from COVID-19, which is just absolutely devastating. And so it's been really strange to watch Top Chef and see this luxurious, almost gluttonous celebration of a thing that doesn't exist right now. But I also think that it's been an incredibly powerful reminder of why we prize those places and those people and the things that they create and how much of an impact that really makes on everybody's life. And so it will feel a little bit weird to watch it right now, but I would really, really encourage everybody to give it a try. It's been incredible. A few other TV things that I'll run through quickly here. The most recent season of Curb was just a delight. I mean... It's fucking incredible. There will be no defecation in Latte Larry's! <laughs> Unbelievable stuff. 
All the taste, none of the flavor. To be clear, that's not about the defecation. That's about Leon's pussy tea. Uh, Great season. Watch it if you haven't. (laughs) Love is Blind, which you already mentioned. I recently binged. I had tried it. I tried the first episode. Who's your top couple? Top couple. Well, I mean, it's got to be Lauren and Cameron. Yeah, Lauren and Cameron is, is it. They're definitely number one, though I will say I found myself invested in Barnett and Amber in a way that I was frankly not anticipating by the I end I gotta of it. say, the, the kind of the <laughs> undercurrent of I fucked up from Barnett when they had the reunion oh, yeah. was palpable. The vibe during the reunion special was fraught. You're definitely right. I <laughs> My read on that was that they were both very, very, very uncomfortable to be around Jessica. If you look at their Instagrams, they seem... Very much in love. And Jason, nobody has ever presented a, a portrait of their lives on Instagram that does not actually fully reflect <laughs> their say, emotional state of the moment. So, Yeah. Uh, Lauren and Cameron, I think, are the feel-good couple. Mm-hmm. Just for mess. Damien? Mar- Mark and Jessica. Damien and oh, uh, Giannina. Yeah. But, like, they were good men. So when Giannina... That's not who I'm going to say. But I just want to just shout out Giannina for the moment where she goes... Do you ever wonder why (laughs) I never say you're the best sex I've ever had? That was one of the most, that was like a boxing match when someone gets their bell rung because he was staggered. He looked concussed (laughs) for like 30 seconds. Did not know how to respond. He was just like, he was like, "Uh, you said it once or something. It's just (laughs) very tough. But I think Mark and Jessica, here's the thing. I knew it was going to be not good when, you know, the moment when they see each other in that hallway Mm -hmm. and then they go towards each other. Sure. Where she throws her arms around him and he staggers backwards a couple of steps, like the force. (sighs) He wasn't able, you know, just to break it down to the physical, biological level. He moved back. He staggered back by the force of her embrace. And then as soon as, you know, she was like, well, I'm used to a bigger guy. I knew it. And it's like, that's going to be also like, how does he not understand what's happening? She doesn't want to hang out with you ever. Yeah, she was fundamentally uninterested in spending time with him and went to talk to Barnett every single chance she got. Again, in terms of the kind of surreal nature of consuming some aspects of culture right now, let's not forget that Love is Blind begins with people isolated in respective pods where they cannot interact with other people. Very strange to to return to that now. Um, a few other TV binges that I've enjoyed recently. Very quickly. This one's for Isaac. I caught up on Brooklyn Nine-Nine. And let me tell you, it's fucking great. <laughs> it's great. Every episode, packed full of laughs. Holt is on another level lately. I would say every episode and a half, there's a hilarious Harry Potter joke. It's really a delight. I can't recommend it highly enough. Isaac, you were right all along. Recently watched Mindhunter season two and have been able to catch up on your commentary, my, wow. my dear friend and podcast co-host. So that's been a joy. I mean, the season is not a joy. Obviously, it's incredibly bleak, but it's yes. excellent. And look, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention High Fidelity and our shared wife, Zoe Kravitz. Oh, my God. Zoe. Crushing it. Crushing it. Crushing it. She is miraculous. Uh, on the reading front, I have been... Deeply immersed in the His Dark Materials universe. Wonderful. So I reread the original trilogy, Golden Compass, The Subtle Knife, and The Amber Spyglass, heading into season one of the HBO show. I wanted to refresh myself 
on the books. I hadn't read them in a few years. I had so much fun rereading them. It was wonderful. And then after the show ended, I dove into The Book of Dust, Volume 1, La Belle Sauvage. Really fantastic. I, I wrote a little blurb about it in the Ringer Book Club that we all did recently, which I would encourage everybody to check out if you're looking for some more quarantine reading recommendations. Just a lovely book. Introduced some very important and special new characters. And I'm currently reading now for the first time volume two in the Book of Dust trilogy, The Secret Commonwealth, which only came out last fall. And I just didn't have time to get to it right when it came out. Binge about Star Wars, not sure if you've heard of it, et cetera, et cetera. Have and- I heard of it? <laughs> and I'm reading it for the first time right now and I am just enthralled. It is so, so, so good. I am exploring all of the novellas, the the ebooks, short story, everything I can get my hand on. I discovered a delightful little tearaway map of Lyra's Oxford, oh. tucked it to the back of my copy, and it has just been a joy. The other thing that I've been reading, I've been I've been rereading the Star Wars Aftermath trilogy, which I had started to reread during our last binge, and I'm now continuing to work my way through. I have on my night side table, I haven't opened it yet, but I'm intending to read the plot against America. I have held off so far on watching the miniseries because I wanted to get through the book. I love Philip Roth, as you know. I wanted to get yes. through the book before watching the show, but now Incredible I haven't gotten writer. to it yet. And I'm like, should I just watch the show and then read the book? I don't know. So I got to figure that out. But then the next literary endeavor is a recommendation from you. Oh. I have been reading... Saga. And it is fucking incredible. This makes me so happy. Just incredible. Should we tell the listeners to prepare for a a saga episode in two weeks? We're going to we're going to chat about saga at length in two weeks. So you have two weeks to read the comics yourself, catch up, familiarize yourself with the story and then join us for a one week deep dive. Do you like space operas? Do you like wild, creative, colorful characters? Do you like longing? Do you like love? Do you like heartbreak? Do you like coming of age? Do you like magic? Do you like science fiction? Do you like authors? Do you like books that have influenced you? All of these things are baked into Saga in an incredible, incredible comic on Image Comics. Just read it if you can. You can either order the graphic novels through whatever service you'd like. If you want to support your local comic book store, I'm sure they'd be happy to have you do that. If you wanted to do the digital copies, Comixology is an Amazon company and it's very easy to use. If you live in LA, our beloved Skylight Books is currently taking orders and delivering. So like Jason said, check out your your local establishments and support local businesses right now if if you're able to. Uh, Very, very quickly, been watching uh, some movies the last few weeks as well. Watched the Before trilogy recently. Just so fucking beautiful and gutting and inspiring all at once. Because our friends at the Rewatchables were wrapping up their Godfather trilogy Rewatchables, I also concluded my Godfather rewatch. Delightful. And I try to every year around the Oscars, watch as many of the nominated films as I can. And there were a couple that had eluded me this year. So I finished that up. Finally watched Little Women. It's phenomenal. Just great. Greta crushing it yet again. Incredible stuff. And, uh, you know, that's it for me right now. I mean, I am starting to feel the pull of the desire to return to some old favorites. You know, like I, I feel a desire keenly right now every day to reread Harry Potter or reread A Song of Ice and Fire, rewatch Game of Thrones, you know, I'm toying with the idea of uh, Lord of the Rings, an MCU rewatch. But so far, I've been 
I've been trying out some new things that I hadn't gotten to to this point. Wonderful. Next. Number three, Danny Kramer. What's the best thing you've watched recently? TV, movie, whatever, Mallory. Okay, so the best one. One pick only. Yes, one pick. I did toy with going with Ozark or Devs here, but my pick is a movie that I watched this past weekend and sent you approximately 700 text messages about immediately. Portrait of a Lady on Fire, which is one of the most- I haven't rented. I haven't watched it yet. I will not spoil it for you or the listeners. I will just say it was one of the most stunning films I have ever seen. It was so beautiful and gentle and understated, yet strong and profound. It was really, really, really a magical exploration of the nature of love and human connection, which I think is something we are all spending a lot of time thinking about right now. I I, I cannot recommend it strongly enough. It is streaming on Hulu right now. Check it out and then listen to Sean Fennessy's interview with the filmmaker Celine Siama on the Big Picture podcast. Beautiful movie. What about you, Jay? What's the best thing you've watched recently? I'm going to go with Devs is great, but it's yet to unfold. It's something I'm absolutely engrossed in. It's probably the, my favorite ongoing TV show right now. I'm going to go with a film by the French filmmaker Jacques Tati. 1967's Playtime, which is, I don't know how to describe this movie, except that it's like a very funny, some of the most incredible visual gags you've ever seen, like in the in the vein of like Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin, but taken to like a, a level of kind of modern genius. It's a film that's very loosely about kind of like modern life, at least at what, you know, contemporary life in late 60s France, Mm -hmm. consumerism, the kind of like emptiness of the modern consumer lifestyle. And it's just incredibly funny. There's almost no dialogue. He basically bankrupted himself by building like a scale city on the outskirts of Paris, which to shoot in, like just go on YouTube and search like playtime scenes. And you'll be amazed at like the visual palette, the way everything looks. It's like when people talk about a director as an auteur, as a real designer and creative kind of Mm -hmm. wellspring of everything that happens in a frame. Playtime is like one of the most pure examples of this. Playtime by Jacques Tati. Sounds wonderful. I can't believe we both picked French films. What a twist, truly. I know, what a (laughs) twist. Wow. All right, number four, Eric Lopez. When are y'all going deep in this Tiger King canon? Okay, I'm going to say one quick thing here and then I'm going to let you carry this. I have been afraid to watch Tiger King. I understand that it is a national and global phenomenon. Number one on Netflix, basically all anybody on the Ringer staff talked about last week other than pressing work matters and, of course, the state of the world. Constant slacking in the TV channel about Tiger King. You know this, Jason, because you know me and also because you received a lot of anxiety-riddled text messages from me asking if it would be safe to watch Tiger King, given my affection for animals. I love animals so much, and I'm afraid to see them in any 
certainly to, to have any kind of harm befall them, but even in a, a situation that doesn't feel right, it just makes me so upset and stresses me out. So I was, I was going to stay away, but a combination of a few things led me to finally watch the first episode last night, which I have done. I have watched one episode. You have been telling <laughs> me to. You, you, you have been telling me to, and I take your recommendation very I seriously. I can't wait to hear this. Our entire staff is obsessed, as, as noted. Currently, like, I really miss a lot of the people in my life. And one of the things that I find myself craving is, you know, participating in the zeitgeist, participating yeah. in the conversation of the moment. And I really, I really felt like I was missing out by not understanding what everybody was talking about all the time. And then finally, sifting through the mailbag questions for this episode of Ask the Underscore, it was just an astonishing, I mean, a bounty of, of Tiger King questions. So I knew I had no choice. I have watched one episode. I was equally parts horrified and riveted. And I will be continuing and finishing the journey, at which point I look forward to oh sharing gosh. more thoughts with you. But I've only watched one episode, so I really feel like you should take it here. Okay, well, let me just say this. Tiger King, it's one of those things where I watched the trailer and I was like, okay, it just throws so many things at you at once that you don't even know where to begin. I tweeted last week and then wrote this in our Ringer reaction post to Tiger King. I think this is the first unspoilable show literally ever in history. I could tell you things that happen in this. A person gets mauled almost on camera. How about that? Loses an arm. Doesn't matter. That is one data point in 1,200 to 1,500 wild data points that you won't even know where to start. Like, it's it's a show that I found to be basically indescribable. There's there's a episode, kind of bottle episode diversion into this drug kingpin that you could argue is not even necessary, but it's just like the things that get thrown away in this show. How about Joe Exotic having uh, Prince Albert, which is a penis piercing where the, the head of the penis is pierced and putting it out there that he likes to hang padlocks off the end of it. Um, oh, that no. was, that's an aside. That's a total oh aside. Uh, Joe exotic at one point gets mauled almost on camera. To, uh, I think, I believe it's a lioness grabs his foot and drags him a certain um, number of feet. And it certainly looks like we're about to watch this guy get eaten on camera. None of his crew come to his aid and he has to fire a revolver next to the lion's head in order for oh, it to no. make it run away. You see, this is the stuff I don't want. The lion is unharmed. Hearing you say that the human was mauled had no impact on me, but hearing the that the revolver had gone off next to the lion's head was, was distressing. I don't want that. He blames Carol Baskin, who's kind of his bete noir, his rival in, in right. roadside zoos, who he Big has accused— Big Cat Rescue, he has accused her uh, numerous times of killing her husband and potentially feeding his corpse to cats, to tigers. He wrote a song about it. Um, They then go to a clip of Carol Baskin reacting to the news that Joe was almost mauled by a a lion. And she says, well, you know, how would I even do that? I guess you could uh, soak his boot in anchovy oil and that would that would make it like she just drops very casually exactly (laughs) how you would do it. There's so many things in this show that just make you perk up and go, what the hell? Again, it's an indescribable show. I would urge everyone out there to uh, look up the post 
refuting-netflix-tigerking on bigcatrescue.org, in which Carol Baskin writes a long refutation of the events that are depicted in the Tiger King documentary, talks about the allegations that she... (laughs) I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh, but... She talks about the allegations that she murdered her husband and fed him uh, his corpse to tigers. She talks about a great many things. Uh, I would urge all of you to read it. I don't want to color your your reaction to that, but seek that out if you can. My number one takeaway was, like, don't engage with roadside zoos at all. Just don't yeah. do it. That seems like a good takeaway. Yeah, like, if there are places that are sanctuaries that are taken in these abused animals, that animals that are not taken care of from roadside zoos, that's one thing. But, like, you know, don't go there. Yeah, protect these animals at all costs, please. Please, Lord. At, at just an absolutely riveting and insane story that I don't even know how to catalog or talk about. It's so many twists and turns. Okay, let me ask you this question. Sure. To test a statement you just made, which is that the show is unspoilable. You can't spoil it. Okay, so as I told you, I have watched the first episode. I had also seen the trailer, understood the basic premise. Much of the first episode, you know, hinges on the fact that Joe Exotic is in jail. He is in jail. For a murder attempt. Right. But here's my question to you. Okay. My full sense of the show before watching came from our Slack and Twitter. And nothing about the way people are tweeting about the show, talking about the show, the memes that are out there, nothing indicates in any way that the reason Joe Exotic is in jail is frankly remotely germane to what the documentary is about. I only see people tweeting about whether Carol killed her husband and various other things. So is the well, seeming I, I, premise of the show not relevant? Here's, here's why that's the case. Okay. Now, I think you'll find as you get into the later episodes of this incredible documentary that <laughs> there's an allegation surely on Joe's side that he was entrapped into this murder for hire attempt. Right. He is professing his innocence. Right. The thing is, when you watch this, so Joe, this is a thing, again, not a spoiler. Joe had his own like web show. Stream. Yes. He was actually legitimately a pioneer in this realm. Like he had a, a streaming show for, for, I guess, like over a decade. So a long time. And in this show, uh-huh. he calls and alludes countless times <laughs> to his desire to murder this person. <laughs> like, right. it's not a mystery. Whereas the okay. whereabouts of Carol's husband is yes, absolutely is a, mystery. a mystery. So I think that I that's see. why that's okay. that's why that's driving conversation. You know, like it, you watch the clips from right. Joe's show and he's like literally mailing venomous snakes to Carol. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like he goes, hey, look, there's Carol and he has a blow up doll and he shoots it like that's not that was there's a, no a, a, deeply no, upsetting. No ambiguity there about what he wants to do. He literally says at one point, Carol, if you continue with this, you're going to stop breathing. And so, like, Joe would say that he was entrapped. I guess what I would say is, my guy, you literally called for her death, I don't know, hundreds of times on your, like, if not for the fact that, again, spoiler, your recording studio burned down, there'd probably be evidence that you called for her death many, many more times than that. So I guess the reason why, again, I think it's a sense of mystery. There's no ambiguity about whether Joe 
called for this person's death or could have plausibly plotted to kill her. He, yeah, he absolutely admitted to it numerous times. Okay. Okay, so it has the Jason Concepcion seal of approval, formal I wouldn't, I, I don't approve of anything. I don't approve of anything on this show, but I think it is something to watch. <laughs> okay. All right. That yeah. segues decently, if discomfortingly, into our next question. Number five. Ari Jensen, what kind of stories or worlds do you feel drawn to right now? Classic tales, old favorites, or new to you series? So Jason is obviously enjoying watching Tiger's Mall people and, as he noted earlier, making I'm not enjoying it. Again. Pornhub's <laughs> free access. All I'm saying, I'm just spreading the news on that, <laughs> that that is free now. Premium I will say is they're, free. they're sending a lot of PR emails. That's how lot. I know about it. <laughs> yeah, it's just in your journalistic capacity as That's someone who reads press releases. Of course. No, we understood. <laughs> we assumed. That's Research. how I know about it. Yeah. For me, I am gravitating toward worlds that I can fall into completely, that I could get lost mm. in, in whatever form that might take. And so, you know, as as was clear when we ran through the things that we have been binging and watching and reading recently, I've sort of surprised myself that I've been opting into new things mostly, you know, stories that I either had not seen before or I had taken a break from and was just returning to. I do feel, as I said earlier, that that itch, I'm starting to get that itch to return to some of my cherished universes. Like when I read Harry Potter, every time I read it, it just feels like coming home again. It feels like a warm hug. And I think that's something I'm going to need very soon. But to this point, I've mostly been trying to catch up on some of the stuff that I had fallen behind on. I got to tell you, well, I started reading Brandon Sanderson's Stormlight Archive, first Ah. book in that series. It's The Way of Kings, I believe it is as the pandemic was first popping off. And I'm working my way through that just to find a new fantasy thing. But Mm -hmm. I find myself really kind of wanting to read like history, like big history, like Mm -hmm. unpack, like, again, we've society, the human race has been through this stuff before. So what is it going to look like this time? And how did we get here? And what are, what are we going to learn from our collective responses to this? And you know, what could the impacts be when this is all over? I think this is all stuff that like, not to say that history will show us the way, but it's like a, a strange kind of mirror to like gaze into and try and find out like how people dealt with this the last time. And I've, I've really been drawn to stuff like that. And then just really well-written fiction. Mm-hmm. So basically like just anything, either something that will completely take me out of what's happening that's just right. completely immersive. Like- Red Dead, Animal Crossing, some story that's completely removed from everything, or steer into it something that could give me some kind of idea about like what this all means and how the human race dealt with these kind of events in the past. I wish that certain other people shared your thirst for knowledge and facts and a <laughs> grasp <laughs> of very tough history, uh, but... Uh, Is- It's very tough right now. Lamentably not so. Yes. Number six, Kate Yellru asks, which sport or sporting event has been the biggest bummer to be without or hear that we will be without? This is, uh, is, boy, this cuts close to home for us. We love sports. We spend a lot of our time professionally covering sports. 
thinking about sports. Jay, what's your answer here? Yeah. Which which sport have you been missing the most? I mean, it's the easy answer. It's the most obvious answer. Clearly, it's the NBA. I thought it was really shaping up to be yeah. an incredibly interesting season just in terms of who's going to be there in the playoffs, what those matchups are going to be, L.A. versus L.A., what, what's that going to mean, um, who's coming out of the East. It was fascinating to me to watch Giannis get to a point where now he's the guy that everybody's overlooking because he's just doing incredible things like night after night, which is a place that LeBron has been in for many uh, uh-huh. years in his career where it's like, you know, he just puts up 28 and 8 so easily that you're just like, ah, whatever, it's forget it. And now Giannis was doing those things with numbers that are just, you know, insane. Um, I really miss it. I miss talking about it. I Clearly, I have a show about it. I miss turning on the game, just watching it. I miss tweeting about the NBA, uh, but I miss all of it. You know, like all of the, all of the sports. I miss it all, but in the NBA, most of all. What about you? Well, I just want to take one moment before I answer to say that you have managed somehow, despite the lack of an NBA season, to continue going with two-time Emmy-nominated. That's right. NBA desktop. Jason, the desktop crew got a, another. Emmy nomination, new category this year at the Sports Emmy for you. That's right. Correct? That's right. New category. Well, we did a little bit of research and nobody is repeated in mm-hmm. our, our category from last Listen, year. Listen, you, you, you have to come to this in strategic fashion. That's part of it. We're gunning for two. And so we wanted, we decided <laughs> to switch it up. I'm so proud of you. Truly. Best, so of luck of to, you. best of luck to everybody else in our category. Katie Nolan, the TNT crew, everyone else. My sport that I'm missing the most is baseball, Major League Baseball, yeah. which I really feel that absence. Is, I think especially because it should be starting now. You know, a new season should be underway. Opening day was supposed to be last week. And when March 26th came and went and there was no baseball, I just felt a little loss and a sense of emptiness that was a little more profound than I was anticipating it being. I think that part of it is, you know, baseball has always been my favorite sport. The Orioles mean a lot to me. And the dawn of a new baseball season. I think, you know, I, I've yeah. had the, the fortune of of watching a handful of competitive Oriole teams in recent years. Not the most recent years, but the few years before that. But for much of my life, the Orioles were terrible. And yet I grew up hearing stories from my dad about Oriole magic and Earl Weaver and the power of the three-run homer. And through a decade and a half of sub 500 losing seasons when I was growing up as an Oriole fan, it didn't matter that the rational part of my mind knew that they were going to be bad. Entering into every baseball season was the embodiment of hope for me. And I think that that's what that moment where you're shifting from spring training into opening day represents for a lot of sports fans. And I just really miss it. I also, you know, it's one of the things that even though he is in Baltimore and I am over here in LA and we're across the country, my dad and I just text every day about the Orioles and share that still. And I really miss that right now. And of course, also, I miss fantasy baseball. You know, I miss the Ringer League, which Zach Cram, the commish, had yet to set up, let let the record state. But, you know, I was confident in my ability to make another playoff run, and so I'm missing that as well. I miss all sports, of course. So, you know, we should be enjoying March Madness right now, and it's very weird to not have that, and I feel so, so bad for all of those players. And, uh, you know, this has just been an incredible bummer, though I'm very, very glad that every league and finally, eventually, the Olympics yes. have done the right thing. Hopefully they will continue to do so. No other thing to do. Yes. 
Okay, number seven. Rich Schrader, what was the first story, book, show, or movie you remember completely immersing yourself into? Mine was Ender's Game. Great one. My obsession started as a kid, and I have since read every book in the Ender universe. Mal, why don't you go first? Sure. My answer is The Lord of the Rings. The Hobbit was the first book that I read in a very pivotal moment in my life as a reader, which was in fifth grade when I got bumped up into a new reading group. And I had struggled with my reading to that point, And it was like this incredibly affirming, transformative thing for me as a young reader, getting that affirmation. And then that was the first story that I fell into after that. And I felt like a level of confidence and engagement with the story that I had, I just had not previously experienced on my own as the, at like holding the book and reading it on my own, as opposed to having somebody read it to me or, or trying it in a different way. That was really cool. And then, you know, continuing into the trilogy, Fellowship was part of our middle school reading curriculum. And I was so immersed in it that I used to sneak it into my Hebrew school lessons with me and like read it under my desk, which was not ideal because I had not gone to Hebrew school earlier in my life and was on a very concentrated, aggressive tutoring time frame to try to catch up and really needed to focus more than that. And that's how I ended up memorizing my Haftorah and Torah portion. But that's another story for another time. My dad is just a absolutely massive Tolkien fan. The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, mm. trilogy were on the bookshelf that he built for me in my room as a kid. And it's you know, one of his favorite stories. He had fallen in love with it when he was a child. He used to always talk to me about the covers, his old editions from when he was young and how much those covers meant to him. The Barbara Remington illustrated covers. She actually recently passed away in February, 90 years old. You know, I've talked before about how Harry, when I read that a few years later on, was this absolutely pivotal moment in my life as a reader and really changed the way I felt about stories. Mm. And that was something that I came to completely on my own. And so it was like a transcendent experience for me in a, in a different way that really now stands out to me the most. But Lord of the Rings came first and was the first fantasy world that I just fell into so fully when I was young. What about you? Star Wars is probably the first thing like that that I really got into, but I didn't the real answer for me is going to be X-Men and like Marvel comics, because mm -hmm. that was when I just wanted to know everything about everything. I They used to have pre-Wiki, Marvel would release this like every few years would release this book called The Official Handbook to the Marvel Universe, which is like an A to Z rundown of every character in the Marvel Universe what they mm -hmm. can do, what their stats are. You know, it's like a scouting report. And mm -hmm. I just remember I would just devour this stuff, like devour A to Z, go front to back and just read down on every character. I wanted to know what they could do. I wanted to know all about the cool, like powerful objects they had. I wanted to know about like the, you know, the cosmic characters. I wanted to know about the earthbound characters. And it was just all in there as a resource, you know, for me, especially, you know, I was one of those kids who would go to the comic store. Right. And especially when you're first starting out, it's like you're dropped into a lot of these storylines. You don't necessarily know what some of the references are. So the official handbook to the Marvel Universe was like a great way to figure out, to kind of get up to speed on the history of basically every single character in the universe. Mm -hmm. And I and I just 
absolutely loved it. I just devoured that stuff. Had boxes and boxes and boxes of comic books that I would just like run through. And that was the first like universe of fiction that I ever fell into in a, in a real way. That's awesome. Yeah. Number eight, Jackie Mack. Finally watched Star Wars Rebels and found myself highly invested in Kanan and Hera. Welcome to the club. <sighs> Hell Who yeah. Who are your favorite fantasy couples? Oh my God. This is... This is a great... I mean, there's almost too many. I wish the question had come with a cap. Jay, you go first. Okay, I'm just going to run through it without explaining because I think it's self-explanatory. Okay. John and Egret. Hell yeah. Pure love. What it's like to just kind of like become immediately enamored with someone and find like not just like a spiritual, but a physical connection that's worth yes. exploring. Just, Jamie yes. and Brienne. With your tongue. That thing you did with your tongue. Oh my God. Jamie Sorry, and Brienne. I can't not mention the Lord's Kiss. We're talking about John and Egret. I, I apologize. Continue. Jamie and Brienne. Jamie yes. and Brienne. Yes. Speaking of rebels in the Star Wars universe, Obi-Wan and the Duchess Satine. Mm, Clone Wars couple. Marco and Alana from Saga. Listen, it doesn't yeah. turn out great, but that's life. And I think that their <laughs> continued relationship and desire to kind of like keep the family unit together despite other things that have happened is worth exploring and part of what makes that story great. Shouts um, to Hazel. Shouts to Hazel. In video games, Commander Shepard doesn't matter the gender. And Tali Zora, just one of the sweethearts of space in the Mass Effect video game universe. Love it. Liara Tassani, who, like, an actual genius. And I think Garrus, you know, like, Garrus, one of the best friends you could ever have as an NPC. And it makes you wonder, like, what could it have been like if it was a, a, a romantic relationship with your Shep and Garrus? And then I, I, to continue with video games... Gordon Freeman and Alex Vance. Alec, you know, Half-Life Alex coming out soon. As Gordon Freeman, one of the first times I've ever been like, you know, I just love spending time with this video game character. Aw. Is Half-Life so 2 nice. and Alex Vance with myself as Gordon Freeman. So Gordon Freeman and Alex Vance. What about you? It's wonderful. Okay, so I am limiting myself to 20. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, it's important to exert willpower and show <laughs> some self-control. 20 is my cap. I'm gonna blaze through this. Let's do it. And like you, I'm gonna I'm gonna make this fantasy and sci-fi expand the parameters of the question just a tad, as usual. First, my favorite fictional couple of all time. Cram, avert your ears because you're watching Battlestar for the first time right now. Adama and Roslyn from BSG. My number one. I think this is a great take. Such a special couple. And I have found myself thinking about them a lot recently because it's a reminder of the way that incredibly perilous, unfortunate circumstances can actually bring people together, even if you're not Mm. expecting it. Next, and they're kind of in no particular order from here. Lyra and Will from His Dark Materials, I regularly think of their bench and the way that they continued to mean something so powerful to each other, even when they were not together anymore. And that formative love, your first love in your life, the way that that can shape how you think about the world, that's just such a meaningful thing. They're fabulous. Jamie and Brienne, which you already hit on, I mean, I just choose to not think about the, the very end of that, personally. And really, I'm counting on you, George. 
You say you're writing, buddy, and I hope you're doing well. And I can't wait to see what you have to say about Jamie and Brianne. John and Egret, for the same reasons that you mentioned, Jay, just a yeah. passionate, fiery, forbidden love. You know, sometimes it doesn't work out and that can be very painful, but the time in the cave still meant something to them and to us. Obi-Wan and the Duchess Satine, a beautiful romance and incredible romance. Affection, the ability to totally know and understand somebody, push each other's buttons, challenge each other, and just <laughs> never find your way forward together the way that you wanted to. That is just so devastatingly sad to live with that regret. I think about them often. Han and Leia, of course, I don't really need to expand. <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> Oh, Han, miss you. Hermione and Ron, Isaac, I'm sorry. I know this offends you, but you're, he's literally giving me the finger. The double bird right now on, on Google Hangouts. But I shipped them really, really hard when I was reading Harry for the first time when the books were first coming out. I was really invested in that relationship. And just because JKR has subsequently said that they shouldn't have been together doesn't mean that I'm not happy that they are. There you go. Yes. Sometimes opposites attract. While we're in the Weasley clan, and I should say that broadly, many of the Weasley relationships are important to me, Molly and Arthur. I mean, Molly Wobbles and Arthur, just an all-time fantasy story couple that gives us a lot of hope that, you know, the passion doesn't always last, but sometimes it can. Shouts to them and the marks that they still have. (laughs) Sawyer and Juliet from Lost, my favorite couple from Lost, a very important set of characters. Lost is one of my favorite shows of all time. And I love both of them and their relationship. Yes. Great one. Peter and Olivia from Fringe. Fringe heads. It's just. This is unbelievable. You're carrying (laughs) the torch for Fringe is one of the most true things about you. Adam and I were just talking about trying to rewatch it. Fringe is really a great show. And Olivia and Peter are a very special couple. And I would highly recommend you exploring their relationship if you haven't already. Uh, Next, Claire and Jamie from Outlander. Another great one. Really putting their passion out there on the front line for all of us. You know, they're on the front Mm. line in battle and on the front line in the bedroom with each other every night. Next, Kelly and Yorkie from San Junipero, my favorite Black Mirror episode, my favorite Black Mirror couple. Love them. Can't watch that episode without falling into the deepest despair and the most like bountiful hope all at once, a delicate balance of just a masterful episode of TV. Next, Aragorn and Arwen from Lord of the Rings. I know some people don't love the introduction of more overt romantic plot lines in the films. I really enjoyed it. Have you guys <laughs> seen Viggo Mortensen? It's just not reasonable to think that his portrayal of Aragorn would not be intimate with someone. Sorry. Let me just, for the Vigo heads out there, I yeah. recently fell into a, a wormhole on YouTube of celebrities speaking other languages, and there is a super cut out there of Vigo Mortensen speaking seven or eight languages with a high level of fluency, <sighs> wow. and I would urge you to seek it out because it's pretty incredible. I will be seeking it out. And you know, one of the languages that he's fluent in, Jason, is the language of love. love. So there language you go. Of love. <laughs> Very quickly through the rest of these, Wally and Eva from Wally, my favorite Pixar movie of all time. Love them. Love comes in many forms. One of the greatest love stories ever. Rising up my board currently in real time as I read it. Thanks to you, Jay. Marco and Alana, you already talked about from Saga, just a fascinating couple in Forbidden Love. 
Hopper and Joyce from Stranger Things. They're still together in my heart. I ride for Jopper and I look forward to seeing them find their way into each other's beds at some point, hopefully next season when he is obviously back. Next, Jay, I know you're uh, you're invested in this pairing too. Quentin and Alice from The Magicians. Now, was it always easy for them? No. Did things go terribly wrong? They did. However, <laughs> when you transform into foxes and fuck in the snow, you just have a spot on my fantasy couples list forever. One of my roles. Rounding us out here in the top 20, Oliver and Felicity from Arrow. Katniss and Peta from Hunger Games. One of the things that Jason and I fervently disagree on is that Jason ships Katniss and Gale, which is just wrong. Oh, that's and- fine. <laughs> that's fine. I own that. That's fine. <laughs> and finally, Renly and Loras. The way that Loras continued to fight in Renly's name, wearing his armor in battle to honor Renly after his death. Truly beautiful. That's my top 20. Let me just add one <laughs> quick one. A quick one. Quick one. Uh, for the folks on it. Quick one. Uh, James Purfoy and the sight of his own penis <laughs> is one of the great love affairs in the history of the visual medium. He's a guy who just loves nudity. Oh Full frontal, loves to show it off, does it in every Ooh. role. And it's a, an in-joke that we have where occasionally in the tense moments in the recording studio, I will pull up a picture of James Purfoy fully nude and I will turn it around. And and, and I oh, think that God. that's one of the great love affairs of our time. He loves to be naked. It's really a He's just lifter. like, yeah, altered carbon? Sure. Does this make any sense for the plot? I, I don't care. I Will I show my dick for altered carbon on Netflix? Yes, Absolutely. <laughs> Do you need a room full of my clones, all of whom will also be showing their cock? Yes, more (laughs) of my cock, please. Oh, my God. His portrayal of Mark Antony in Rome, uh, his oft-nude portrayal of Mark Antony in Rome is, I think we we agree, one of the great artistic achievements in the the history of time. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Number nine comes from Leslie House, what book or film do you most wish you could read or watch for the first time again? What an interesting question. I'm just going to run down them because I think it's, there's, you know, too many. I think we both said Goblet. It's just like, yes, you know, coming off of Azkaban, you're like, wow, I didn't think that this story would go to this level and get that. And then Goblet just takes that and vaults over it. All your expectations coming off a really, really great level up book like Azkaban and then pour that all into Goblet where it's just like everything is firing on cylinders. The plot, the overall mystery, the character development, the subplots. There's just so much going on and they're at the perfect age too where like the the coming of age stuff is just burbling. It's a great, great, great book. Um, Dune, you want to talk about world building? That's one of those books, the first time I read it, I was just like, oh my, how do you do this? How do you create like such a fully realized and completely alien world like this? Uh, Amazing. Ender's Game mentioned before, but that was one of the first real great sci-fi reads that I ever read. Invented blogging in a real way. Game of Thrones, Clash, Storm, those three together as one thing. I wish I could just read that again for the first time. 
that's something I, I revisit all the time. I'll leave it there. I, you know, we're going along as we said, but those those four books, I think, for me. Wow. Okay. You know, we we got a surprising number of questions about Dune. Interestingly, so I guess uh, if we haven't already, yeah, we can establish for the record that we both we both love Dune. When I went to college, Dune was one of the books that my dad packed for me to read. A little inscription on the inside, very meaningful. My picks, I'll run through these as quickly as I possibly can. My first choice was also Goblet of Fire, like you. You know, on the one hand, as I've talked about many times before on Binge Mode Harry Potter and Binge Mode in general, it was a utterly transformative reading experience for me. So I, I would not want to change it in any way. It's frozen in amber for me in the most perfect way. But on the other hand, it had such an impact on my life and the way that I feel about not only Harry Potter, but the immersive capacity of stories and fantasy stories in general that I just wish that I could live in that moment again, embody that moment again, the way that I felt down in the Outer Banks, refusing to go to the beach with my family. There was nothing, nothing in the world for me existed in that moment other than that story. And it was such, such a gift, such an incredible feeling. So that's my number one pick. For A Song of Ice and Fire, I would pick A A Storm of Swords, my favorite A Song of Ice and Fire book. And I'll just absolutely never forget reading that for the first time. Yeah, man. Experiencing the Red Wedding for the first time and then, (gasps) you know, the cat perspective initially and then you're with Arya in her point of view chapter and the ending of the Arya chapter when she's hit in the back of the head and you don't know if she's okay and you've just lost Rob and you've just lost Cat. There's really nothing like it. I mean, I, we've we've talked about this a lot before, but the only other time I felt that way as a reader was when Snape killed Dumbledore at the end of Half-Blood Prince. I just like was yeah, totally I, unmoored. The feeling in my body as I was reading The Red Wedding is like something I will never forget. It's I didn't think I would ever that, sleep again. Yeah. yeah, just like I've never been shocked by a book in that way. The way just I unbelievable. was at that, at that plot turn. Unbelievable. Sometimes I just sit back and think about the fact that seasons three and four of Game of Thrones are in essence one book. You know, much of what's in those seasons is really unbelievable. I mean, to have Rob, Cat, Joffrey, Tywin, all of those deaths in the same book is just unfucking believable. And, what, and you know, what well, the thing, masterpiece. again, here we are getting sidetracked again, but like, it's great to be back with you talking about the Us. stories that we love. <laughs> it's great to be back here. Same, bud. Um, It comes in a moment where you're just used to stories giving you that turn towards the end. And it really feels like a traditional turn toward the climax. Here's how we get everybody back together. Rob's about to put the armies back together, fix his mistakes. He's going to grow up through this process. He's already had to humble himself in front of the people who he's been arrogant to. Mm -hmm. And... Through that process, he's going to replenish his army and make the big drive to the south and finish off the Lannisters and finish off this war. And that's not at all what happens. And it is so devastating. Yes. I can't even describe it. It is such a gut punch. (sighs) I can actually remember the way that like my heart and stomach felt reading it. I really can. Yeah. And Adam was next to me and it was like one in the morning and he was asleep and I was awake and I just kept looking at him like I needed to be able to talk to him about it. But I also knew he wouldn't understand it. It's just a truly, a truly unique experience. A couple others for me, a couple other books, The Great American Novel by Philip Roth, one of my all time favorite books, read it in high school for the first time. And the way that it made me think about 
language and mm. the precision of language and word choice and everything from how you name your characters to where you position them to the way that you can merge myth and reality, even if your reality is by definition a fictional world that you have crafted. And the myths that we make versus the myths that we turn to to help us find some guiding light in our lives. It's my favorite Roth book. And I think quietly his masterpiece, you know, there's an entire chapter that is just alliteration for the sake of it, you know, bringing in Gilgamesh (laughs) to, to say that baseball is this great American mythology. You will name a character after an actual myth. It's really just brilliant. And it's so intellectually rigorous and masterful without being showy. I mean, there's always something kind of knowingly showy about the way Roth writes, but it's never alienating. It's always really warm and inviting and you laugh along with the characters. And I think also because, you know, I'm such a baseball fan, there's something about the idea that the great American novel would be about baseball that I always just found so compelling when I was young. And then you introduce communism and politics and what the fabric of society looks like and how the different aspects of family and community wind together to create your understanding of the world. It's just incredible. It's a great one. It is showy, but in a way that is so entertaining to read, much in the same way that like learning when you're a kid learning like a tongue twister or a rhyme is, because that's the way the, the, the prose has a lilting, almost like timeless kind of rhyming quality to it, even Mm -hmm. though I'm not saying it rhymes, but it's, it's indescribable the way he writes that book. It really is. You you turned me on (laughs) to. It's just so good. I got to reread that. It's been too long. Another book that I'll mention is Lord of the Flies, which I think really unlocked something for me as a student and also as a reader. You know, I remember calling up my dad and talking to him about Simon, about Piggy, about the shell, about Beelzebub and everything. And just like really one of the first times that I thought about symbolism and the power of symbols Mm. and story. And that was a really formative moment for me as a reader. And so I wish I could feel that again, even though I think back on that all the time. A couple films very quickly, Ordinary People and Bull Durham. I saw these on back-to-back days the summer between my junior and senior year of high school when various people had recommended Bull Durham to me. Those are, to this day, two of my favorite films of all time. Ordinary people, I wish I could experience for the first time again because I was so vacant after. Like, I didn't feel like I could move or exist. It is a like, devastating film. I was just like, I will a, never. Yeah, it's not yeah. a cheerful movie. It was like, I will no. never be able to feel happy again. But I also felt so unbelievably inspired. And again, like, I'm just thinking a lot right now about connection. And there was something. You know, it's a little bit of the Anna Karenina idea, like something about thinking deeply about the fact that the facade is irrelevant. You know, the fancy house Mm. that somebody lives in, the way that they might appear to you, like everybody is facing their own challenges and carrying their own grief. And the only way that you will ever understand that is if you bring yourself to try. And I just thought that was like more powerful than anything I'd seen to that point in my life. Bull Durham is just like the best sports movie of all time. And I will f- basically fight anybody who wants to have an argument with me about that. It. It, is, it is actual poetry in the form of a baseball movie 
that I also it. features Kevin Costner in his underwear. I don't know what else you could possibly want out of a film. I don't need anything else out of a film. I watched that four days in a row after I saw it for the first time. <laughs> and then I'll, I'll throw out a couple others quickly here. Television show, Lost. The TV show that got me into recap culture, that full yeah. immersion. You know, I, would, I, would, I could not wait to read Doc Jensen's recaps on EW. Shouts to Doc Jensen, man. Shouts to Doc Jensen, Jeff Jensen, crushing it. Picking up every clue, every kernel, parsing every choice that the creators made. It was the first show for me where if a character in a scene was holding a book, I would go get that book and read it. You know, seeing Jacob reading everything that rises must converge, knowing that Desmond was saving our mutual friend is the last book he was going to read before he died. I had to then go get those and read those so that I could not only try to figure out what was going to happen, but so that I could feel like I was inhabiting the world that the characters were. And it was such a rich and rewarding experience. It's also how I started podcasting because my dude, Stuart Mandel and I, we were at Sports Illustrated SI.com at the time working on college football together. And his college football podcast, we we named it the Mandel Initiative, clearly a lost nod, and (laughs) would just sneak 15 to 30 minutes of lost conversation into every episode, even though it was supposed to be about college football. And then I'll throw out a video game one, Jay. Portal. Oh, great one. Just incredible. Best use of music, I think, ever in a game. That's strong. But like the song at the end of Portal, Still Alive by Jonathan Colton, is so good. So <laughs> rewarding and ties together so many of the things that had happened while playing that game. Great puzzle game. One of the great puzzle games ever. It's so much fun. Okay. It will surprise no one to hear that we are running long. So we're going to bring it home here. Our final question, number 10, from Brendan Evans, who says, what are suggestions for some good virtual book club questions or general tips? I'm hosting one and I'm over my head here a bit. This is something that a lot of people are trying to do right now, right? Oh, yeah. Everybody's using Zoom. Everybody is engaging with their friends or their colleagues or their family digitally in a way that they haven't before. So what what would you recommend for somebody who's trying to get or keep a book club going digitally right now as they social distance? I would pick something that's readable that is more plot driven than kind of like, here's a book that I'm really enjoying reading. Duck's Newburyport by Lucy Ellman is incredible. There are no paragraph breaks. It's like this stream of consciousness, like experience of being inside the mind of this middle-aged housewife Mm. who's trying to like raise her family live while being inundated by the screens and the notifications and the news and all of the stuff that's happening and it's like so brilliant but don't read that for your book club pick something that's (laughs) like pick something that's like plot driven yeah next you're gonna recommend Finnegan's Wake sticking with the yeah like conscious you know you know like Something that's plot driven that you can really dive into uh, that maybe even something genre like don't pick the hardest book there is to read. Pick something that's like readable out there. How do you feel about people, you know, turning to pandemic reads or viewing right now? Like a lot of people are reading Station Eleven. A lot of people are reading Severance. I guess that's just really about personal preference, whether that's going to freak you out or give you some sort of outlet. But a lot of people are doing that right now, so that could be a choice. 
listen, Station Eleven is unbelievable and pretty bleak, but also hopeful at the end. Like, I think all of, listen, whatever you need to do to cope with the situation, this extremely troubling, dangerous and anxiety inducing situation that we all find ourselves in, more power to you. Station Eleven, Emily Mandel, great book. But if reading about a swift moving virus that wipes out the Earth's population is too troubling for right now, then maybe avoid it. But like, you know, there's a lot of other genre stuff out there. Jean Le Carré, his most recent book is Agent Running in the Field. My dude is 89 or something, late 80s, and he's still crushing it. It's like his Brexit book. Like, so if you wanted to read something that's like current, but not current current or not Mm -hmm. pandemic current, but that deals with events in the recent world. That's a great one. But don't go crazy with like, yeah, don't pick like Finnegan's Wake or (laughs) Ducks Ellie's report or, you know, something that's super hard to read or like Gravity's Rainbow. Don't do that. Pick something genre or that's like on the on the best reviewed lists from recent times. And but that's readable. I have been craving a uh, Henry Miller Tropic of Cancer read after seeing Jonah read that to Buddy in season two of Ozark. I will say that. You know, if you're looking for something that allows you to think about the current reality, you know, something about a travesty unfolding and the way that people come together or respond to that, but also something that you want to be just fantastical enough that you're not constantly thinking about your own life and what you just saw on MSNBC during the Daily Presser. I would recommend the Passage trilogy. Yeah, the that's first a one really is, fun. The first one, one is incredible. Well, yeah, that's really fun. It really falls off for me. After I one. I enjoyed but it one the whole way. Great. I think part of it Man. is just because I had been warned that that the twelve was a real <laughs> dip. But I I I you know I enjoyed it the whole way through, and obviously the adaptation was uh, not successful, and so I, I find myself wishing that we had. We had all gotten to share that together again, and uh, we're not able to. So I'd recommend that. And just more generally in terms of how to approach a book club, you know, I think setting up a digital manifestation of what it would have been like in person is something that is, you know, worth striving for right now. Again, it's been, uh, this is all so deeply troublesome and upsetting. And, you know, obviously a, a lot of people are really facing various hardships and we recognize and acknowledge that we are very fortunate to be able, for example, to do our jobs from home and not everybody can. One of the things, if you have been able to spend time on Zoom calls or Google Hangout or FaceTime or whatever it might be, is that it does really like lift your heart to be able to connect to people across the world and remind yourself that they are still there and you can check in. And it's so hard every day to not be able to help people or connect to them the way that you're used to. You know, like my family's in Baltimore. They're really far away from me. And it's really hard not to worry and to wish that you could be there to help. But it's also really wonderful to be able to like FaceTime with my grandma if I want, you know? And so apply that same logic to your book club. See each other's faces. Set a theme that matches your book, you know? Maybe, hey, cosplay if you want. Get dressed up. Share that time together. And uh, don't put too much pressure on yourself to make it the perfect experience. The thing that people are really looking for there is sharing something together. And just by doing it, you'll be providing that. All right, friends. Our older brother taught us to podcast like that channeling our Ahsoka right there. As did Isaac Lee and Zachary, our indispensable producer and researcher. 
we hope that you enjoyed this week's episode, that it was a reprieve, however brief. And most of all, of course, we hope that you are all staying healthy, staying safe. Social distance, if you can, please wash your hands, stay home if you're able. If you are out there working in any of the various essential fields, thank you for everything that you're doing. If you're able to stay home, thank you for doing that. We will be back with you next week for a TPT topic. Keep an eye on the social feeds, the binge feeds. We will try as best as we can to announce each topic for Binge Mode Weekly a few days out so that everybody's ready for whatever we're going to be talking about. Remember, we're going to be doing Saga most likely in two weeks. It's a great one. It is. Really wonderful. Until we're back next week, remember, we saw a tiger and the tiger saw man. Mike, this is his dad from Maria. I wanted to call in and uh, talk about the Tiger King today, Mike. I was watching the Tiger King on Netflix, Mike. And I gotta tell you, Mike, I don't know if I'm a, I'm for royalty anymore, Mike. I think we gotta have a Tiger president and a Tiger uh, prime minister, a Tiger parliament, because clearly uh, the decision making process involved uh, when you're the Tiger King, you're the Tiger sovereign, is not great, Mike. People trying to kill each other, they they uh, allegedly murdering their spouses and feeding them to tigers, Mike. These animals are terribly abused because uh, you know who are you gonna complain to? There's no judiciary. There's nothing. It's all one person. Is the Tiger King. And I think we need to abolish the Tiger monarchy uh, in all its forms, Mike. I'll take my answer off the air. Thank you.